Hello, I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the March 15th, 2021 edition of Digging Out. This program has gotten us past November 3rd, December 3rd, January 6th, January 20th, to where we are as we clear the debris from the last four days, four weeks, four years, and four centuries. Today, we turn our sights to how grassroots soars in debris clearing, summoning and directing talent into compelling movement work. David Domke, Associate Director of Common Power, will talk today about how his organization is building on the momentum of the last recent general and special elections to address the national and state legislative voting rights measures, the lifting up and the suppression thereof. To introduce David Domke now, in 2018, he helped launch Common Purpose and has served as Director of Fieldwork and Learning. Officially yesterday, he's now the Associate Director. David worked as a journalist for several newspapers, including the Orange County Register and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, before earning his PhD in mass communications at the University of Minnesota. As professor in the Department of Communications at the University of Washington, he's focused on communication, politics, and public opinion in the US. In recent years, David has worked closely with several organizations on communication and engagement in the public arena with emphasis on racial and religious identity in American politics. In the recent couple of years, he's begun to lead week-long civil rights, and his work includes two books, The Rhetoric of American Civil Religion, Symbols, Sinners, and Saints, and God Willing, Political Fundamentalism in the White House, The War on Terror, and The Echoing Press. And his students speak his praises. He's been honored with many awards at the University of Washington. Whenever I can, I try to attend his lectures and salons, bringing along with him Common Power's Secret Sauces. He raises the lecture to a new level with immediate political landscapes and zones. Common Power has been involved with central through lines from, let's say, the Civil War right to the current time. It's really, really incredible. He comes to us today from Seattle. Welcome to Digging Out and back to Radio KUCI, David Domke. Oh, thank you for having me. Glad to be here, Claudia. We're recording this interview on March 12th. Well, David, previously you were on Ask a Leader and you talked about the messaging. It was December 8th, but it seems like so much has taken place. So maybe you can just give a brief look back and a review on how you contributed you, the common power, to the January 5th Georgia turnout that's been a real game changer in the U.S. Senate. How has your crew, as a result, been throttled up from those kinds of results? <laughs> we, we re- that really was a moment in which we saw the work of on-the-ground organizations in, a, in Georgia that has been going on for years and years and years come together and merge with a national body of work from organizations from coast to coast that wanted to invest in Georgia. And we did. We did a a tremendous amount of phone calling and texting and postcards and letter writing to people in the state, all shepherded by crucial partner organizations in Georgia. And um, seeing that the, the turnout there among Georgia voters and the way in which they seized control of their future is just an absolute inspiration to us 
in our work and also for this country. And the implications of it in the most recent legislation just passed by Joe Biden and the Senate and the House um, is profound. And the, the chances for what comes after this in our country also profound. So you know that was a moment, that election, those runoff elections in Georgia uh, really were defining directional markers for where we're going and we're thrilled and we're fired up and we carry it forward. So we talked a little bit back in December about messaging and I, I was taking issue with how uh, partisan groups have their strengths and their weaknesses in messaging. But I just want you briefly because communications, that's your feel, that's your art, I'm gonna say, that I, I want you to address what I'm having, I'm taking issue with the messaging on the media's part. When the American Rescue Plan, that has been signed into law this week, yep. that the media is capturing it as not, it's not a bipartisan measure. And I think that keeps undercutting that the national polling says it's bipartisan. It's just a, a partisan legislative game, not a national sort of bipartisan following that has built the American Rescue Plan to getting it this far. Can you talk about that, the shortcomings of the media that's insisting on framing it as the legislative arena says what determines what's considered bipartisan when there are very favorable reviews by all partisans around the country? Yeah, you're, you're, you're exactly right, that, that this is a deeply bipartisan piece of legislation when you look at public opinion and the desires of, of people in this country, including mayors in a number of states, Republican mayors who say, look, I, I work on the ground in this city. We need this support. What you have is a national political leadership of the Republican Party that's out of step with the rest of the country, including their own constituents. So, you know, if they want to decide to not provide a single vote for one of the most popular pieces of legislation that we've seen in decades in this country, then that's a choice they make that is profoundly unfortunate for, for the country because they divide us. But it, the legislation is exactly, is, is exactly what Joe Biden set out to do, to build a bipartisan cross-political space where that people support it. And I think that his vaccine work, the COVID responses is also in this vein. So, you know, the Republicans have decided that they really only care about two things. And this is not like, I don't reach this conclusion knee jerk quickly. This has taken me several years to kind of say it in this directive a way, but they really only care about two things. One is tax cuts. And second, restricting the right to vote to only people they think deserve the right to vote, which is particularly white Christian uh, Americans. And so those two things are all they care about. And in this case, they had a chance to vote in support of a bill that would help all Americans and they refused to do so. So with that all in mind, then what we, we as an organization uh, say, look, the ground that we need to fight on is for voting justice and voting rights. So what would you say then, in one of your recent Salon's lectures, and you've said it actually in e at each opportunity, who is Common Power trying to engage? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Claudia. There's kind of two ways to think about the American political landscape. When you turn the, the lens away from DC, Washington DC, 
and instead turn it out to the 340 or million Americans who live in the country. There's two ways to think about them politically right now. One is we can think about them as a group of folks that are deeply divided and can't seem to find common ground on most things. Or we can think of them as actually a group of folks that is deeply uh, unified with a quarter to a third of Americans who simply live in a different reality, okay? So you can think of it as we're deeply divided, or you can think of it as actually two-thirds of folks see the world very similarly and have a lot of values common ground. They may not agree always on the policies, but they have a lot of values common ground, while there's a third of folks who just live in a different world. And that latter approach, where we just see a third of folks living really in an alternative uh, reality, is exactly how we see it at Common Power. And we are not interested in spending our time to try to retrieve those people from the unfortunate cult-like experience that they live in. That, that is beyond our skill set uh, to do that. What we are capable of doing is to register people to vote, to provide them with education around what voting really looks like in America, and then to mobilize them to cast a vote. That two-thirds of Americans is what we're interested in. And that includes some percentage of Republicans, but you know, the larger percentage of Republicans today are in that, that one-third who are just in a different world. They're in Trump's world. We are demographically focused on the two-thirds of Americans who, who look at science, believe in science, believe that everybody should have the right to vote. Everybody who's 18 years old and should vote. Uh, that who believe that climate change is real, who believe that healthcare is, you know, something that all of us can have in some form. So that's who we're reaching out to. And that is the majority by far of this country. Two thirds, I, I mean, you know, these percentages that I'm talking about are represented in the public. That's who we're seeking to engage in many states around America. We focus on a large number of states where there's really important elections and where the future is determined politically. And I guess it's an interesting kind of a math that looking at that broad sort of outreach versus the kind of like the partisan political game of the, of the Republican Party, it's about peeling off this little slivers here here and there, and you're talking two thirds. It's just, that math just sort of is, is astounding. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest on Digging Out is David Domke, Associate Director, bringing all the Common Power volunteers along, full swing in engaging the public. We're recording this interview on March 12th. Now, David, on your front burner is the nationwide effort, and it's staggering, 40 three states are proposing 253 laws on the state level to roll back provisions to vote. It's, I don't think alarmist, there's one democratic strategist, Mark Elias is calling it an avalanche of voter suppression. How are you mobilizing common power uh, activist volunteers to support HR1 for the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act? Sure. HR1 is the For the People Act and S1 is the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. And they are related, uh, but they, they occupy slightly different spaces in the work for voting justice. We are committed to both of them. And the HR1 has passed the House and is now going to be taken up by the Senate later in March. March 24th is when it's slated to enter 
uh, a committee structure in the Senate and begin to be considered. And the Voting Rights Advancement Act will be taken up alongside that in the Senate. It is harder to vote today in America than at any point since 1965. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 transformed this country and turned us for the first time into a genuine democracy where the right to vote was protected for all Americans, regardless of race or skin color or wealth. And ever since then, it has been slowly being chipped away by a series of actions, laws, economic decisions by states that have not directly assaulted the Voting Rights Act, but have chipped away at it by creating what are on their face racially neutral policies that nonetheless functionally in effect work to suppress the vote among particular communities of color, such as voter identification laws, which require voters to show a government issued ID, which sounds pretty innocuous on its face, but the reality is that certain populations have a much less willingness to trust the government for very good reasons, um, or don't have the ability to purchase the identifications that are needed. And so when you actually look at the data, African-Americans are about 5% less than white Americans to have the requisite voter identification. So that's, that's a, a law that in its effect has a discriminatory impact. And so those kinds of laws have been passed in 35 states in this country. And there have been many other clusters of laws that have been passed that have made it harder for people of color younger people and particularly lower income voters to vote in America. At Common Power, we are committed to this fight right now for HR1 and S1. And we are working six days a week right now in making phone calls to voters in key states uh, where there are senators there who are really going to be kind of like the defining Senate votes. And so we're calling into an Arizona into a Maine, into um, a Pennsylvania. And we're talking to voters there and asking them to contact their senators in that state and encourage them to vote for S1 and HR1 as it gets taken up in the Senate. And we believe that our work is essential. It is not enough, but it is a necessary contribution to a much broader ecosystem of what we call advocacy, where you pressure elected officials to do the right thing. So this system includes national advertising by organizations that do that work. It includes organizations out there pressuring the officials directly like the NAACP or national civil rights organizations. It includes pressure on businesses to make sure that they bring their power to bear on a Coca-Cola, a Delta, on a, a Microsoft. And our work, our lane of contribution is to mobilize these voters and get them to push on these elected officials. And that works. It really, really works in democracy. It, it remarkably works. And that's the work we're doing. And so I'd be happy um, as we go to, you know, to tell folks exactly how they can do this work with us. But we are doing it six days out of seven right now. And so this is a chance you can just let listeners know how they can follow you online so they can plug into that calendar. Sure. So our website is commonpower.org, just like it sounds, those two words mashed up, commonpower.org. And at the top of the page, when you come to our website, is there, there's a series of tabs. If you click on the advocacy tab, it will take you to our page where we have the kind of on-ramp to doing this work. 
And as you scroll down just a tad, you'll read about why this advocacy work right now is so very important. And then there'll be a button to click on and join what we call our advocacy team. Team advocacy, I run it. I head it up because I'm so invested in this work. And we, once you sign up, you begin to get dedicated information about how to join these phone banks. And we don't just send you off. We have phone banks in which we gather together on Zoom, I mean, the COVID world, in which we gather together on Zoom for a few minutes ahead of time just to connect, to uh, check in with each other, and also to answer the questions for each of the newcomers who are coming. And then we go together. It's like walking across the street together. We go together to the phone bank Zoom rooms and do the work together. So if you're interested in doing this, we try to make it as easy as possible. Just sign up for team advocacy. Then you'll start to get some email information that'll tell you to join us at 12.30 p.m. Pacific time or 3.30 Eastern time and join us. And here's the Zoom link and come join us. That's it, Claudia. That's how you do it. And you don't need to prep. You don't need to know things. You don't need to do any. UE will take care of you from the moment you come into the Zoom room. And that is the beginning of the feedback loop I've begun to tap into from volunteers I know or from listening in on some of these sessions where it reinforces, it's a positive reinforcement of that mobilizing on the phone banking. So I, I just speak from my own observations too. So, and you talked about building coalitions um, and you're talking about the advertising aspect with the with business, with the NAACP. I'm, I'm just noticing a blast I got from She the People. I don't yeah. see them coalescing with you yet. Where, where are, what, who's on that? Is Charles Douglas III on uh, getting <laughs> She the People over? So Charles is uh, a colleague of mine who is, we've been co-directors and he's gonna be our executive director here shortly. We're part, we are actually part of a, a coalition that I think has 160 members in it, the Declaration for American Democracy Coalition, DFAD, as it's known. And uh, if people want to look that up, you can just Google Declaration for American Democracy. And we're on there. We're listed. We're a partner organization. But there's, there's all these other ones. And they're all in their own way. Each of us in our own way is doing work. Some are calling, some are you know, leveling advertising. Others have these personal connections where they can push, push, push personally. Um, so each of us is part of this coalition, Claudia. Okay, and so did you wanna say anything specific to, we were talking about the federal legislation dealing with voters' rights. Did you wanna to speak to the phone banking and reaching out to Arizona, Georgia, Wisconsin, Florida, that's dealing with those individual states' efforts to roll back the access to the polling place. I would, I'd love to, and I appreciate that. And it's, it's clear that you have a, a, an understanding of what we're doing. So we're doing two different kinds of phone banks. One is for the federal level, focusing on these senators, uh, where we're calling voters and asking them to contact their senators. And then the second kind of phone banking we're doing right now is calling citizens in states and asking them to contact their state legislators. And there are a handful of states in this country where the Republican response to 2020 is so robust. It's just ridiculous. It's so anti-democratic. And those states are right now Arizona and Georgia. And those legislatures, state legislatures, tend to be shorter in length of time. They tend to move faster than Congress. 
So they're really often like a three or four month endeavor. And Georgia has started in early January and runs to the end of March. And so we're quite far along and they have passed a couple bills in each chamber, but the other chamber hasn't passed them yet. So they are not enacted at this point. And we know um, it's, we know there's something going on because Jimmy Carter, who's not really well, he is rallying right now in Georgia. So in, in Georgia, the voter suppression is so uh, absurd. Stacey Abrams, who's you know a leader there in Georgia, yes. has, has called it Jim Crow in a suit and tie. That's what mm-hmm. we're talking here. Mm-hmm. And there is a massive mobilization by organizations there. The Carter Center that is based in Atlanta, Jimmy Carter, did issue a public statement saying that this is unacceptable. This is antithetical to American democracy, these kinds of bills. So we are calling citizens in Georgia and in Arizona and asking them to contact key state legislators, folks who are swing votes in the state legislatures there. And so we are battling on both the state levels and the federal levels. And what we do at Common Power is we kind of alternate our calling date like every other day, whether we're calling either states or at the federal level. And uh, we think both of them are very, very important. Right now, the states are at, at kind of like the climactic moments. So Georgia and Arizona get a fair amount of our attention. But soon enough, whatever happens in those states, we will set that aside and focus specifically on just the Senate because the bill that's in Congress, or the two that are in Congress, HR1 and S1, will override any state legislation if we can get the federal legislation passed. So we ultimately, it will be the bigger target, uh, but it, it's not there yet. And, and it's a harder lift. Whereas in these states, we've got a little bit more of a chance. So we're fighting on both fronts. So David Domke, when the phone bankers are engaging with the constituents in various states and talking about HR1 and S1, so what kind of answers would the volunteers come back with when the target constituent asks, how close are we? Because we, there's a moving target of whether there will be a filibuster or not be a filibuster to, for how many noses have to be counted in the Senate to pass either of these pieces of legislation. Well, it, it's not clear in the Senate yet. We have not reached like the ultimate kind of mountaintop defining moment here whether or not the filibuster will exist as it currently is constituted, whether it will be there in some other form, whether it will be somehow set aside. There's a road to to journey here for some distance. And we are committed right now to just pushing as many senators as possible who we think are open to supporting the bills. We will eventually get to this defining moment where the filibuster has to be dealt with. uh, And we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Right now, I feel cautiously hopeful that we're going to be able to pass this legislation one way or another in the United States Congress. So there's the short term working on the, the legislation under consideration federally and uh, on state and state legislatures. And then there's the November 2022 targets. How is the strategic part of leadership at Common Power looking to goals that need to be met in on November 2020. Sure. So we, we always have our eyes on elections that are coming. And this year in 2021, there's really, really important elections in Virginia. They do their statewide elections in odd numbered years. So they're really important and they're a major focus for us. And there's also an important uh, special election in the House in Texas coming up here in May. When we look to 2022, you see 
vital Senate elections and House elections all over the country. And so we've identified seven states that are particularly a focus for us as an organization every year going forward. They're either blue now and we want to make them bluer or they're not blue and we want to try to get them there. And it's a little smile. If you look at the U.S. map, it's a southern smile, we call it, with one side of the smile is uh, anchored in Virginia. And then you go down through North Carolina. So these are the seven states, Virginia, North Carolina. And then you get over to Texas, Arizona, and Nevada as our key kind of states across the South. And so Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, Texas, Arizona, Nevada are six of our seven. And then we have a Wisconsin up top with like an eye to the smile. Those seven states are states that we are focused in every year. We want to engage there every year. And most of them have important Senate elections in 2022. Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, all do. North Carolina, so six of the seven do. Those are our first target states for the next couple of years. Then you add a state like a Pennsylvania and Ohio, where there's also important Senate elections. There's also important House races in Georgia and in Arizona that we need to be engaged in. So the, we are definitely thinking about all of this. And when you look at voter suppression tactics in a Georgia or in Arizona, they're trying to control the population that can turn out to vote in these midterm elections. So Democrats need to block this legislation in the states or pass this federal legislation sometime in the next 18 months. It has to happen. Or we're going to go into 22 with really both hands tied behind our backs. So there are still special elections taking place, but in our very county, Orange County in Southern California, there was a monumental outcome this week, because we're taping today on March 12th, that one of the county board of supervisors seat was open. It was a vacated seat because of the outcome of the general election. And there was, for the first time, a Democratic woman was elected to fill that seat. Uh, she's up for re-election next year. But I don't know if those kinds of special elections provide some kind of critical data for common power to sort of put in some new priorities or to use the data as a sort of a tactical refinement of your secret sauces. Well, certainly we pay a lot of attention to kind of changing political maps. Orange County, I spent five years in Orange County when That's I went right, to the register. Yeah. Yep, I'm in the register. And, you know, back then, and you got the Orange, you got the Richard Nixon Library, you know, you got John Wayne Airport. This is a pretty conservative country historically. But over time, it's gotten more diverse and it's gotten more kind of purple. And when you look at the, the changing map there in Orange County, or you look at a general, a special election in a Texas, or you look at in certain seats that slowly flipped in a Georgia, and then you take a place like a Virginia, where we eventually flipped the legislature in 2019 and have changed the entire composition of voting justice in that state, you got to pay attention to where the kind of openings are in the political landscape. And you got to invest in those when you have a chance. You got to go. And so we certainly are dialed into any of those places. And Texas is one of them. Arizona's one. Georgia's one. Southern California, Orange County is a place where that is also the case. So those do become important data points for us. We don't necessarily engage in all of those places, 
we take into account like how many places we can do it, what seems to be the, the most impactful, where does the partners on the ground seem to be doing the strongest work. But we pay a lot of attention to kind of all the tea leaves. Okay, very good. Well, David, I want to thank you so much for your time. I want to visit with you again once this whole season settles out. You are with Charles Douglas III and measure where you are, where you're going. And the whole idea is to give people an alternative to hand-wringing. Listeners, hand-wringing has been out of fashion a good long time now. So, <laughs> so I hope I can get either one of you back on Digging Out or even on Ask a Leader to measure the outcomes and the next pursuits, if you would. That sounds great. Well, thank you, David, for taking your time to join me here today. Okay, Claudia, thank you. My guest was David Domke, founder, now Associate Director of Common Power. Next week, UCI professor Kermit Ryder will talk about her latest project, a powerful compilation of audio counts from people incarcerated in California prisons during the pandemic. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone.